in the culture that we live in today. This is sometimes my soapbox in the world of social media, in the world of look at me, look at me, applaud me, applaud me. And, and everything we do, we're just striving to just be known. And James says, you want to be known? Humble yourself. Be quiet. Go before the authority of the Lord and say, whatever it is that you want for me, that's what I'll do. And, and I will be like Jesus. I'm not looking for the applause of the earth. I want the applause of heaven. And it says, that's what you get. Because as soon as you start receiving that applause of people and you're like, yeah, I am pretty great. God says, you get nothing from me. You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Amen. We're going to take some time. We're going to dig into the Word today. We're in Matthew 21. We're going to finish up that chapter, and we've been uh, looking now at the authority of Jesus. It's a question that's being asked by by the people and the religious leaders. This is the last week of Jesus' life, his ministry on this earth before his death and his resurrection for us. Um, and, uh, and we're going to ask today then, too, how does this continue to apply to us? Uh, there's a, a, obviously an ancient story about a Greek philosopher and scientist uh, Aristotle who uh, held to a belief and he taught his students that uh, they were gravity and, and what they knew about it at the time is that Aristotle said that depending on, upon the weight of an object it is how quickly it will, it, when dropped, it will fall to the earth. And, and so um, for centuries, people just trusted him. And from what I understand, uh, I wasn't there, but from what I understand is that, is that he never really tested his theory. He just said, well, it just makes sense if something is is heavier, it's going to fall to earth faster. So fast forward like 2,000 years, uh, and, and you get to uh, another great thinker of Galileo, and uh, he said he was going to put this to the test. So he summoned uh, some of the, the greatest minds of the time, some of the wisest professors in the universities, and they gathered around. He put them at the base of the Tower of Pisa, and, and he went up on top, and he had a 10-pound steel ball and a one-pound steel ball, and he said, when I drop these, they will both hit earth at the same time, and everybody laughed at him, and so he let go, and sure enough, they both hit at the exact same time, and even though all of what seemed to be the smartest men of the day were, were down at the bottom, they watched it happen, they saw both of those steel balls hit the ground at the same time, they still held to the, to the belief that Aristotle was right, that somehow Galileo had messed it up. Seeing it with their own eyes, experiencing it, getting to see proof in front of them still, it wasn't enough. Which is a great opening story for what we're talking about. The religious leaders, in, in this instance, uh, the, the priests in the temple in Jerusalem, as well as the scribes, meaning the people that, that knew the scriptures. By now, we find out that, that the Pharisees had started to gather. So all of the people that had kind of been uh, wanting to rid the world of Jesus during his time on earth were now gathering in the temple and listening to him teach. And as we talked about last week, they confronted him. And what they wanted to know, they, they weren't interested in what he had to say in his teaching or the, his miracles. They just tried to, to, to explain them away. 
What they wanted to know, because what was most important to them was, who gave you the right? What, what authority do you speak these things? By what authority do you teach these things? Who gave you this authority? Because to them it mattered. Because in their mind, they were the ultimate religious authority in the nation of Israel. They just kept claiming it, even though God had kind of made it clear to them, if you read through all the Old Testament, that because they puffed themselves up, He was pushing them away and making a new way. And now Jesus shows up as the ultimate authority because He's God Himself. And so the power that He has, the authority that He has, comes from the Father, as we studied last week, but He's God. So all of His teachings are true. All of His ways are right. All of His... uh, commands for us we have to submit to but they were unwilling and so they gather around as Jesus is teaching in the temple and they ask him by what authority do you speak who gave you this who is your teacher because we know you don't have one so you can't say it or we'll, we'll find you in that and they're hoping he's going to say well either authority comes from myself because I'm God which in their eyes they would be able to then say he's a heretic and they could put him to death or if he even would say, I'm a prophet, my authority comes from God, again, they could, they could say, well, we didn't authorize you, and again, you're a heretic. They were looking for a way to kill him, and Jesus knows it. And, and he knows that he's in his final week of his life, but in that, he's going to do some teaching. People are going to learn some things about these, these religious leaders, but they're going to learn some things about themselves. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to, to help them try to see beyond their own ideologies, the lies that they've told themselves, the selfish desires, because Jesus was a threat to them. They, they, actually, they actually weren't trying to be spiritually righteous and serve God by saying, we've got to rid this world of a heretic. What they were saying is, we've got to rid this world of this guy, because if people see him as the Messiah, then there's no, there's no need for us anymore, and we lose everything. We lose power, we lose uh, the, the, the people's eyes on us, we lose uh, resources, finances, everything that makes us us, which is wrong. So they refuse to acknowledge all of the proof, even though they, they've seen it with their own eyes, they've heard it with their own ears. They know the Scriptures, and they know that Jesus has fulfilled all of the prophecies that have been said about the One who would come and rescue this world of their sin. But instead of awe, they just became angry. Instead of submitting to the authority and saying, I'm so glad, right? Like, like we, we're all, we all desire that. I'm, I'm so glad that I don't have to try to, to be in charge of my life anymore. That I can hand it over to a Savior who says, I'll, I'll show you how to live. But not only that, I'll give you the power to be able to do it. I'll give you peace to be able to live this life. You don't have to be in control anymore. But they wanted to be, just like so many of us. They just became angry because they wanted to be in charge, and they rejected his claim of authority. And in doing so, they end up bringing upon themselves condemnation because they prove that we are not interested in this Savior. When it comes to authority, the only response that we can have is humility. What is it that you want from me? Because I'll do it. It starts with humility. It's all about humility. The nation of Israel had made a, a claim for themselves from, from the, uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham. 
Generations will come after you. They'll outnumber the stars in the sky, the sand on the shore. I'll make you a great nation. And, and we read all throughout the Old Testament of, of this people, the God's chosen people, who, who relied more upon that identity than actually the action that God had called them to. And so they just said, well, we're God's people. We can do whatever we want. And that's, that makes up all of the Old Testament, this roller coaster of a people who are like, well, we're God's people. We can do whatever we want. They choose to do whatever they want, which results in we don't need God. I'm going to be my own God. And God says, well, then you're going to go off into captivity. Or, well, you're going to go to war. And people are going to, your lives are going to be lost. Because they didn't lean into the one who was in control of their lives. And we get now to, to Jesus' day, and the religious leaders are living the exact same way. They're just going through the motions and just kind of claiming this, well, we're, we're still the greatest because we're God's chosen people. Same thing was happening back in Isaiah, so Isaiah chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, and we'll get to our text today, but this just sets kind of the stage for us to show that these religious leaders didn't learn from their past either. Isaiah chapter 5, God speaks to his people in a really powerful way, and it begins what would seem kind of sweet, again, them leaning into their uh, identity as, as God's people, that, that they're God's beloved. But it kind of turns to an unexpected Kind of turns a corner unexpectedly. Let me sing for my beloved, it begins. My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. Built a watchtower in the midst of it, hewed it out with a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So this understanding of God has done a great thing. He's given you a land and a purpose for that land, to live in it. And, and to bear fruit. In other words, to live like people of God. And so the, the, this idea is you're, you're going to produce something that is going to go out to the world that, that people are going to know that I'm God. And so go and bear fruit. He says, but when I showed up, all I found was, were wild grapes. In other words, nobody was tending to the vineyard. Nobody was taking care of the business that I have asked you to take care of. You've You've not respected my authority, God is saying, and as the vineyard owner, as the one who put in the work, I built this all for you, for you to enjoy, but also to, to appreciate me, and, and you haven't. You've disrespected me. So now, he says in verse 3 of Isaiah 5, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? In other words, I gave you everything. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield only wild grapes? So I tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It will be devoured. I will break down its wall. It will be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It won't be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns are going to grow up. And I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. You can now see the authority of God. He's, I have control over all of this. I gave it to you. I, I, I give, but I also take away. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, only found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but, but, but behold, only found an outcry. In other words, ah, it's just, you're asking too much of us. We're not willing to bow. Authority, we all know this. 
respecting authority, following authority, starts with acknowledging that authority and understanding you're not it. It's, it's humbly giving yourself over to that authority, who, whoever it is. In this instance, God himself. We shake our heads, right, at, at this, and I always say that. We read through the Old Testament and go, oh, these people. But these people are, man, I am these people so often. I want to take control. I want to say how things should go. But that same struggle is now in the hearts of these religious leaders that are confronting Jesus. They will not respect and bow to or acknowledge His authority of God in the flesh. So where do you get these authority to teach these things? Whew, words, Paul. To do these things. To make the claims that you make. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows. They're not asking because they want the truth. They're not going to accept it. And so he sees it as opportunity to teach all of the people. There's probably hundreds, if not thousands of people there in Solomon's portico this day. And, and people are listening and they want to hear what Jesus has to say. He's still teaching to give them opportunity to, to, to turn their lives around. But he knows that they're not going to. Their hearts are hard. And so why not use this as an opportunity to teach everybody around? At the same time, as we'll look in a passage in Isaiah, uh, that, that God would use this as the fuel that they would use to put Jesus to death. And Jesus doesn't back down. That, that, that alone, it, it's not told to us in the text today, but as we read this, Jesus, the more he teaches truth, the angrier the people become. And, and I would say most of us, when, when pressed and knowing that they want to put me to death for, for the things that I am saying, like, hey, hey, Paul, maybe you should tone it down or it's not going to turn out well for you. We would all tone it down. Jesus doesn't tone it down because he, he willingly is going to the cross for us. And he's going to, to just speak truth the entire way. So last week, as we took a look at verses 21 to 27, we, we heard Jesus' response to their question, by what authority do you have this? And remember, Jesus said, I'll tell you where I get my authority if you will answer me a question, where did John the Baptist get his authority? Because John the Baptist was seen as a great prophet in the land. And he had come, we know, to, to pave the way to let people know that the kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah is coming. And then when Jesus does show up, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John's job was to get the world ready for the Messiah. Repent. Seek forgiveness and start following after God. And people loved him. And the religious leaders, they won't answer the question because, remember, they're scared of the crowd. Well, we can't, they say, we can't, say, that, we can't say that his authority came from God or, or then we have to acknowledge that Jesus is from God and so then we lose our position, so don't say that. We also, we, what if we just said he was a prophet? Right? Well, we, we, well, we can't say that either because then we're going to get called on the carpet for not following him. So they didn't answer. They said, we don't know. Jesus says, well, I'm not going to answer you either. But instead, he now gives them three parables uh, to really drive the point home. And as we read through these parables, today we'll do two of them, one next week. As we read through them, they get increasingly more and more intense. 
and more and more direct to the hearts of, of each of these leaders. But it's all about a vineyard, are the two parables today, the lessons to learn from that vineyard, and then a submission in all things to the authority of Jesus, which is the authority of God. James tells us in chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God. Purify your hearts. Be broken before Him. It starts, it starts with humility. Bow before the Lord so that you can be strong and you can know, you could be uh, approved that you could then do His work. And James 4.10 says, So humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. That's a lesson for all of us in the culture that we live in today. This is sometimes my soapbox in the world of social media, in the world of look at me, look at me, applaud me, applaud me. And, and everything we do, we're just striving to just be known. And James says, you want to be known? Humble yourself. Be quiet. Go before the authority of the Lord and say, whatever it is that you want for me, that's what I'll do. And, and I will be like Jesus. I'm not looking for the applause of the earth. I want the applause of heaven. And it says, that's what you get. Because as soon as you start receiving that applause of people and you're like, yeah, I am pretty great. God says, you get nothing from me. I want to glorify God. I want Him to get the applause of, of every little thing that I do in secret that people don't know about. James says, draw near to Him. Purify your hearts by humbling yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. It's the struggle that these religious leaders had. They wanted the applause of men. And we're gonna, we'll, they killed Jesus for it. Let's get into these two parables today. We got about 20 minutes. We're going to do our best. I won't let you TV people uh, get cut off, I promise. Which I say every week. All right. Uh, verse 28. Let me just, just read these for you, okay? So we'll just do the first parable. We'll explain it. We'll go to the second one. Jesus says, so what do you think? This is what he says to the, uh, to the religious leaders. I love it. He, he's still kind of feeding them. They think that they're in charge, that they're the great teachers. So he just... He's like, okay, I'll play your game. What do you guys think about this? I'm going to give you a parable, and you tell me what you think it means. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first son and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And when he went to the other son and said the same, the son answered, I will go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, well, the first one. And so Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you will. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward even change your minds and believe in him. So Jesus is confronting them again about the question that, that he asked. So what about the authority of John? Why didn't you follow after him? And, and they, he puts it in this story. Well, this, this rich, wealthy owner had a, a vineyard. Uh, so again, their minds automatically go back to Isaiah 5 because they're good uh, Jewish religious leaders. And they understand. They should have seen, well, hopefully this isn't going the way that we think it's going to go. Uh, but he says, so there's a wealthy owner. That is, that is God. 
and he's got a vineyard, and he expects that his children that he calls his own are, are going to listen to him and are going to live the lives that he's called to live and do whatever he says that he's going to do. So he goes to the first son, which every good uh, ancient Jew in learning this is going to know. When you talk about your first son, your first son is the one who's going to receive everything. All the inheritance, they're going to receive the house, the vineyard, the responsibility of taking care of everybody, of uh, managing the wealth that comes in from that vineyard. And so the oldest son is, is very respectful of the father, but always knowing that if anything happens to my dad, i got to know how to run the family business. And so every opportunity that I have to do what I, what I can do, I want to learn it. I want to get my hands dirty. Let me in the vineyard. And so the father goes to the son and says, so I'm, I'm giving you the responsibility. Go and tend to the vineyard. And, and the response is, no, I'm not going to go. To which everybody in that crowd that day, and, and probably every parent here is like, oh, I know that. I know the no. Right? And, and we respect our, our fathers, our parents. And when they say go, we go. But this son, for some reason, says, no, I don't want to. But after a while, right, he knows, oh, man, I, I did a bad thing, right? I told my dad no. You don't tell your dad no, so I'll go. And he goes off and he does the work. But when he says no, the father goes to the next son, uh, which really is kind of saying, so I'm gonna, I'm, it's your responsibility now. The older son won't do the work. Will you go? And, and he just says, he says, oh, yeah, absolutely. In other words, I want all the stuff, but he doesn't go do the work, right? I, I want... I want all that comes with it except for dirt under my nails and, you know, picking grapes and stomping grapes and all that. I don't want to do the work. And so Jesus says, so which of these two sons did the will of the father? The religious leaders, the answer, well, I, I guess it was the first one. You know, even though he disrespected, even though he said no, he actually went and he, he got the job done. And the intent, Jesus doesn't, tell them outright, but the intent is that they've given the right answer to the parable. The father is not looking for lip service. He wants action. He wants to see people, he wants to see a son that lives into his responsibility and obedience through action. And that's, that's the whole point of this parable, submissive obedience. I respect who you are and I will live into it. I'll show it through my action. Jesus is still referring back to the ministry of John the Baptist who came with the authority of God and they saw it happen, but they still refused to, to accept it. They didn't repent. They didn't follow that way and prepare their hearts for the coming of the Savior. They just rejected it altogether. And unwilling to accept Jesus in that who He was as well which means they were unwilling to accept what God was truly calling them to do, to live into the way of true righteousness. They, they thought righteousness was just living into the law. But righteousness had come. Jesus said, you cannot live into the law. You don't have what it takes. It's, and that, that's why I've come, to rescue you from having to do and to be your Savior. Be obedient to the will of God. Submit Christ is king, repent and follow him. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 8, people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he's quoting from Isaiah 29. 
I'll make the wisdom of wise men perish because the clay can't say to the potter how he will be molded. This is all about starting with sub- submitting to authority, the authority of God, Christ himself. Now, he doesn't explain all of that. He just tells it in, in a parable. And he sends a clear message then. He, said, he says, even tax collectors and prostitutes will make it into the kingdom of heaven before you will. I think things got tense. If I was in the crowd that day in the back, I'd be like, okay, I'm just, uh, right? Uh, I'm, I'd be the Homer meme, backing into the bushes. Like, I don't, I don't want to be here right now. This is going to get awkward. And if you go back to the calling of Matthew, I think Matthew includes that in there because he's, he was a tax collector, right? He was one of those at a table that nobody wanted to stop and talk to. Nobody, whenever they saw Matthew coming, they'd run because he's going to ask for money or he's a thief. He works for, you know, this, this uh, fraudulent government that was over them. And, and nobody wanted anything to do with Matthew. And, and when, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he calls Matthew. And Matthew drops everything and follows him. Why? Because nobody else wanted him. What? There's, there's a teacher? There's an actual spiritual teacher who wants me to be a disciple. No way. He must not know what I do for a living. He must not know my heart. No, that's exactly why Jesus called him. Jesus knew because he's one that nobody else wanted. And Jesus said, I'm going to do great things with this guy. Why? Because we need to hear that message. That regardless of our past, regardless of what we have done, Jesus says, behold, I'm doing a new thing with you. Follow me and I'm going to change your life. I'm going to take you from stealing from people to giving people great joy abundant, eternal life. And, and what Jesus is saying is that even when John the Baptist was out baptizing, calling to repentance, it was the prostitutes, it was the tax collectors, it was those that everybody saw as sinners. They knew their sin and they knew they needed repentance. They didn't lie to themselves and say they didn't need it and think that they were too holy. And so they jumped in the water with John. I, I want to be a follower. I want to follow God. I want to prepare myself for what God would want to do in me. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones that do the will of my Father. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, I urge you that what we taught to you and what we showed you, that, that you would walk in the way that pleases God more and more. And then, and then he says, these are instructions that are given you through Jesus Christ. This is the will of God, Paul says, your sanctification. God's desire, the the same words that that Jesus said. The the ones that do the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. And Paul says, God's will is your sanctification. In other words, submit to Him and say, mold me, shape me. You take control of my life. And every day, one degree of glory to the next, make me more like you. Rescue me from my sin, but now the process of sanctification then is every day just make me more and more like Jesus. Help me, God, through your power to become the person that you want me to be. Give me the will to do it, to follow you and to love you and help me to turn a blind eye to the things of this world. But it's always, that too is under submission to Christ. Acknowledging I don't have the, we would all say it. I don't have the power 
to turn from sin. We don't. It's only through the power of Christ living within us. So we get to the end of this parable in Jesus' words to the authorities in asking that question. But then we're kind of left with a question that kind of leaves us hanging. Well, so, so which of the two sons is he referring to that, that those religious leaders were? And here's the interesting thing. They were n- neither of them. Actually, what they were is they were the worst qualities in both of the sons. They, they, have, they have told God no. They haven't submitted to his authority. Uh, and, and, they, and they didn't go and bear fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. You, you weren't even good enough to say yes and then, and then, or to say no and then go and obey or to say yes and then not go and obey. You just said no and you didn't follow what God wants from you. They, they disrespected authority by not acknowledging it and they refused to go out and bear fruit, proving that they in no way could call themselves sons. Let me just say this to us as believers. One of the, one of the struggles that, that, that the world that we live in has with, with following Jesus is the approach that we as Christians take to trying to get people to follow Jesus. And I will tell you, every day it gets more and more of a struggle because instead of giving people Jesus, what we're giving them is you need to obey. You, you, you need, and, and so what we go with first is we need our nation to live into the Word of God more. In other words, what, what God says on how we're supposed to live, but we often leave Jesus out of it. So what we end up doing is we just, we just keep screaming to this world, you need to be more moral. Right? You, you need to, to change your lives. You need to live better. You need to live like us. But we, and then we say, and then, oh yeah, by the way, and, and you need to follow Jesus. We get it wrong. But the problem is nobody wants our Jesus because the people that are trying to proclaim Jesus, people are rejecting because, because we don't even understand it. We're, we're saying you know, we need to get this nation back to God. Well, how do we do that? And we go, well, you know, we got the Ten Commandments. We got to make sure that they're outside all the courthouses and the schools. And we got to, I mean, we got to get scripture back out there. And that would be great. I'm not against it all, but let's not forget it starts with Jesus, right? It's the authority of Jesus, God Himself. People, as I just said, no one has the power to live a holy life unless the Holy Spirit is within them. And they only get the Holy Spirit when you accept Christ. So come on, Christians. Let's give people Jesus. And then you can start bantering about all the, how terrible our world is. Right? But let's give them Jesus because if people would just come to know Him and see the light in our life, that we actually would be salt in the world to make people thirst for Jesus man, things will change. But it's not going to change if we just keep screaming law at them. It's both. Yes, we got to be obedient to God, but the first thing that we, the will of God is, as Paul said, our sanctification. We got to let Jesus in. And then joy comes. But a lot of of Christians, we're not living with the joy of Jesus because we're so angry at the world. So let's submit to him. Give it a shot. (laughs) And, and, and watch how it works. And watch what God will do. We have got to model submissive obedience. Paul says in Romans 6.22, Now that you have been set free from sin 
And now that you have been, become slaves of God, then you, the benefit that you reap will then lead to holiness. And the result is eternal life. Holiness after Jesus. Stop calling people to holiness if they don't know Jesus. Just give them Jesus. All right. Now I only got four minutes. Okay. Uh, second parable uh, is, is about bearing fruit. So it's submitting to, it's humbly submitting to authority and then doing what God had said in Isaiah 5. I just want you to bear fruit. Tend to my vineyard that I've given you. I want to see lives that are, that are living for me. And so you can imagine how angry that, that these religious leaders are hearing Jesus say these things. Prostitutes and tax collectors before me? Why? Because they weren't holy because they didn't submit. But he goes on with another parable. And, and he talks about these, uh, these uh, workers in a vineyard. Here another parable. There's a master of a house who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, leased it to tenants. He went to another country. This is the Isaiah passage, right? They, they knew this. That, that we have to understand that. The religious leaders are now hearing this, and they're going, okay, Isaiah 5, where is he going with this? Uh, the watchtower, the vineyard, the wine press, everything is set by the master for for the workers to do a great thing. But in Isaiah, God says, but I showed up and I only found wild fruit. Nobody cared for things. This parable gets a little bit darker. When the season for fruit drew near, the master sent the servants to the tenants to get his fruit. In other words, there's expectation of good fruit. The tenants took the servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. And what Jesus is saying is that... You haven't, my nation, my, my people, they haven't gotten it. God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet to give you everything that you need to know about how to live and who I am, and you keep rejecting their teachings. He then goes on to say, finally, he sent his son to them saying, they'll respect my son, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him so we can have his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. This is prophecy of what's going to take place in just a few days from now. That, that Jesus is saying, this is you. I'm telling you what you're going to do. Because you don't submit to the master. The son came, and, and not only did you ignore him, but, but you said, let's kill him because he's going to take what's, what we think is ours. We want his inheritance. We want this world to be ours this nation to be ours and then jesus says so when the owner of the vineyard comes back home what should he do to the tenants and the religious leaders answered him and said uh he'll put the wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons and jesus is like exactly that's exactly what's going to happen to you because the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. God has a plan to send His Son, and He's going to be rejected by men, and His life is going to be given up. He is the cornerstone. He is the one that everybody should build their life upon. A cornerstone was set. There they were in the temple, and the direction of the temple mattered. It was like the tabernacle out in the wilderness. And the cornerstone is the first stone that is set, and it is perfectly square. And wherever that is set is then going to, de going to determine how every stone from there on out, no matter how wide, how long, how high those walls get, is all determined on the cornerstone. And Jesus is saying, I'm that cornerstone, but you're going to reject me, and I'm going to become a stumbling block to you. And he's going to throw it back to 
uh, Isaiah, who, or, or to Daniel, I'm sorry, 2.44, that God is going to set up a kingdom one day that will never be destroyed. He's starting by building it on the cornerstone of Christ. Do you submit to it or will you not? For us today, God's given us everything that we need to do what it is that he has entrusted us to do, to go and to bear fruit. But our lives have got to line up with Jesus as the cornerstone under his rule, his reign, and his authority. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. I just ask God, that would you just continue to help us? Father, we, we, we come and we hear from your word. And Father, I never want to be a, a pastor uh, who just seems to put a heavy weight on everybody and say, now go and try to do this. Help us to remember that the only way we live this life that glorifies you, the only way we work through this process of sanctification and, and every day conquer sin that comes after us is with you in our life. So Father, may, may your power, your, your Holy Spirit work in us and through us that only comes through our salvation in Christ. Father, anybody here today that just doesn't know that, feels like they're just, they're, they're just under the pressure, they're feeling like a Matthew. Who loves me? Who cares about me? If anybody knew my past, they, they, just, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. May they know today that you care, you see, and you love, and you came and died on that cross for them. May they accept it today. And for those that, that have accepted us, Father, accepted it, Father, may, may we live into it with Jesus as Lord for your glory. Amen.